Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you are listening to Vodka O'Clock. It's going to be a jam-packed, wonderful episode. So before we break into it, um, don't forget that you can go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked. And that's a great way to sponsor the show and the site and my work. And you can also go to places like Amazon and look up Cardiac Arrest. And get my new mystery novel. It's uh, there since if you type cardiac arrest in book searches, you generally get a whole bunch of medical things. So just look up Elizabeth Amber Love as my formal pen name, and you shall find it. So uh, we've got some announcements too. In August, August twentieth and twenty first. This year for 2016 will be Superhero Weekend at Comic Fusion, and that's our big charity event that we do down there. So uh, if you happen to be around New Jersey, please come out and support us. We have wonderful raffles and auctions and cosplay, and you can meet some creators, and it'll be really super fun. So um, otherwise, everything else, if you want to keep up to date on stuff, go to AmberOnMass.com. So joining me today, back on the show, it's been a, been a little bit of a while, but you yeah. know somebody who's, who's familiar with the show, Paul Aller is here, and we're going to talk about crowdfunding and comics. So hey, welcome back. I'm glad you're feeling better. Thanks. It's good to be back. Um, yeah. So we were we should have done this like in the winter, but I think you got <laughs> sick, and then yeah. I, you know, I am notoriously sick with allergies, so it's really okay. Um, I'm like the allergy queen. Um, so Paul is here and has a lot of big news to talk about. So first of all, your new website design is beautiful and oh, you've got you. a new, new column and we're going to talk about crowdfunding, all of that. And past the last mountain is now a Kickstarter. So, you know, happy launch. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm excited <laughs> about it. Um, so, you know, so that I don't forget, I would love for you to talk about the team that's behind Past Lost Mountain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a pretty big team. Uh, the, the, the book that we're kickstarting is actually kind of in three parts. Uh, the first part is the Past the Last Mountain uh, miniseries, which uh, was written by me. And this is all written by me, so I'll just skip that part from here on out. Uh, it has art by Art and Colors by Louis Joyce, really gorgeous work over layouts by Gannon Beck. And that was the first time I worked with a layout artist and a, a separate artist on a creator-owned book, and that was a really, really, really interesting, really cool. Uh, Louis and Gannon kind of mesh in some ways and have different styles in some ways, but like different styles in a way that like they interlocked and were able to create something really cool together. You know, not different as in no, no, this doesn't work. So yeah, that, that was really cool. Um, so that's the four issue mini. Then the the collection that we're kickstarting will also include uh, a one shot that you're familiar with called Orc Girl uh, that I did back in 2012 I think it came out originally as as it's a floppy one shot and it was uh, something I created with artist uh, Thomas Boatwright it's a coming of age story about a young orc um, and it's set in the same universe as Past the Last Mountain which we kind of revealed in the last issue of Past the Last Mountain through a little like throwaway reference to to Orc Girl. And then after that, there will be uh, more than 20 short comics by different artists, just an incredible lineup, uh, Rebecca Isaacs, Casper uh, Wunderford from Limbo, I don't know how to pronounce his name, sorry Casper. I know, I don't, I don't either. <laughs> uh, uh, Ariel Jovalanos, uh, Jeffrey Verger, uh, J.D. Faith, just a lot of really, uh, really incredible people. You know, Wingard, I, I emailed him and asked him how to pronounce it and then forgot. That's how awesome I am. Anyway, yeah, just and a lot more people than that. Paul Tucker, who I did chat with, just a really, really astounding lineup uh, of talent um, that you have to check out on the on the Kickstarter page. Like we have, we have veterans, we have people who are like going to be superstars in a couple of years. We have people who are just getting their start. I mean, it's it's, it's really and we, and we have a couple of people who are like designers and fine artists who are literally doing their first their first uh, comics. And Jeffrey Verger, who's um, a Native American artist who's best known for his cover work on uh, IDW books and uh, Valiant books, and he did covers on Marvel's uh, Red Wolf. And this is going to be his first uh, interior comics pages that'll be published. And so we're like incredibly excited about that to show people what this, you know, really well-known, acclaimed cover artist can do when he gets his hands on some on some interiors. 
So basically, the book is it's a mini series. It's the Orgro one shot, and it's essentially like 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 an eighty or ninety page anthology, uh, all all in one. So it's, it's going to be a big like two hundred and forty page book. I think we have, we say two hundred twenty six on the Kickstarter page, but that's like hedging in case a couple of the stories don't come through. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's probably going to be a two hundred forty page book. Uh, just a really big, thick, juicy tome with just a remarkable amount of content from a ton of just extraordinary artists in it. So. I'm very excited about it. Okay. Well, I know that I've read Work Girl before and mm-hmm. Past the Last Mountain you had available for free online. Mm-hmm. Um, so is all of that other content brand new stuff or is any of that um, from Clockwork or, you know, we, things that people might have seen? We put the first issue of Past the Last Mountain up for free online. The rest of it was up on Comicsology, but it was, you know, not not for free. Um, but, yeah, we, we put the first issue up basically because we knew that when people read the first issue, they would want to read the rest of it. Um, but yeah, all the rest of it is completely brand new. Uh, in fact, I think one, well, one of the, one of the two page shorts was done a couple of years ago and was released, uh, at the time, but the rest of it, I think not very many people saw it, honestly. And the rest of them are all, are all totally brand new. Most of them are, are, are being worked on even as we speak. So, and the premise of past the last mountain is that there was a war between humans and, uh, fantasy creatures like goblins dragons orcs but it's not a fantasy world it's very much our world just with these creatures in it like i i call it a geopolitical fantasy um and the the shorts that are going to be in the book all take place uh during that war so they're not a lot of them are war stories and others are just stories about what people are doing while this war is going on so yeah Okay. Well, I definitely know some of those artists. So, you know, that I, I know I'm absolutely in love with Gannon's work and Paul Tucker's work and Rebecca Isaacs. So I look forward to seeing some of these people that I've never heard of before. Yes. Um, so with Orc Girl and Past the Last Mountain, as you said, there's sort of like a crossover happening there and familiarity. But um, you, something that you do with your stories is you put this intimacy of – relationships in and I don't mean like romantic relationships I just mean an intimacy of families and people who need to really depend on each other they sort of adopt each other as families so um, where did this particular skill or interest for you come from that you know that's what you are really great at well that's a good question um a crappy childhood, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe a lot of what we write is the thing that's missing from our own lives. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do think that relationships are, are, are the thing that has always interested me in, in fiction and in literature. So yeah, that's, um, it's good to hear that that, that, that comes through, uh, in my work. And with, um, I don't, well, I think with Orc Girl, you funded that yourself, right? Yeah. Originally? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, now that you are launching Kickstarter and just launched a Patreon in the same month, mm-hmm. um, are are you okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. Um, I mean, this is going to be a big book. You know, I mean, it's, I, I, I have been funding my own comics for a long time, and honestly, it's been not great for me financially, but it's been, you know, a calculated risk to try to raise my profile and get into the industry. Um, but yeah, I don't see Kickstarter as necessarily something that you do out of like um, desperation or destitution. It's more um, something that I'm doing just because I have projects. They're, they're a little bit out of my reach and honestly, most people's reach to fund themselves. And so I think it is a good way to test the market, gauge interest, and allow people to – I mean, it, Kickstarter is essentially pre-ordering in, in large part. It, it's not because, you know, the price structure tends to be different than when you buy it in a store, and, you know, the, the rewards are obviously very different. But there there are a lot of pre-ordering elements to 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 Kickstarter as well as the, the fan base building elements, and it really interests me in that way. And honestly, like, I, I'm doing – okay right now in terms of talking to editors about projects and getting books picked up but not as well as as i would like i don't think i'll you know any freelancer ever does as well as they like so i'm also really viewing charter more and more as a way to just 
make projects happen on my own rather than having to take everything to to a publisher. And Past the Last Mountain is obviously a very large project, but after this, I'm kind of going to scale back considerably on my Kickstarter projects and start doing like smaller one-shots, maybe even digital one-shots, just, you know, every, hopefully every three or four months. Here's another thing I'm doing with this awesome artist. It's, you know, 24 pages. We just need a little bit of money to pay for the artist and possibly the printing. And here's a way you can pre-order and help make that happen. And, you know, just to start taking things directly to the fans. I think that's a great thing about Kickstarter. And yeah, I launched Patreon at the same time, but the Patreon thing was for a very specific purpose. Like, I, I didn't want to launch just a general Patreon to say, hey, support me. That's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I just didn't want to do that myself. But like you said, I just started writing that column on the craft of writing comics called Imagine a Chair, which I know we'll talk about later. So the Patreon is like very specifically geared toward if you like that column and you would like to contribute a little bit to to keep it going because it does take a lot of my time each week to put that together. So that's what the Patreon is for. Right. It's uh it's like an online tip jar, which is very different than the way Kickstarter works. Yeah, yeah. So um so I wanted to get into that those differences with the crowdfunding tools that are out there. Um because with with Patreon you can also have rewards. You have milestones and you give people rewards for helping you get to that point. Mm -hmm. But it's different than um I think most people avoid mailing out rewards with Patreon. I'm sure there are some artists that will, but um right. I'm certainly trying to avoid anything that requires mailing hard <laughs> hard hard copies. Right, um, yeah. So with Kickstarter you um you know you need to have all of these packaged goods you need to have stuff printed you have some beautiful like um poster print designs that you're already working on with people and t-shirts um so are you managing this entire project then or are you doing like a fulfillment a fulfillment service how are, how are you getting through it we're not as of this moment doing a fulfillment service um it looks yeah i mean uh the plan right now uh well i should just say the plan is is for everything to be to be printed and sourced uh, here, and I'll be putting everything together and shipping out most everything. And I'm probably going to do a bulk mailing to Louis, the artist on the book in Australia, since because he's Australian, we're imagining we'll have a fairly good uh, following there. And so he'll probably get like a bulk package with everyone's rewards and, of course, his own books from the from the project, and um, and be sending stuff out from there. But yeah, no, we're not doing a fulfillment service uh, as of right now, which is pretty stupid. But um, I have some, I, I mean, that's a skill I'm kind of awful at, but I have some friends who are like, you know, live for that stuff. They're like uber organized. They're all about, you know, that kind of thing. I, I've kind of told them, hey, so we're going to have like a party at my house the weekend after everything gets in, right? And we're going to we're gonna get this done. And they're like, yeah, probably a party here has a couple weekends in a row. So, um so we'll uh we'll see how that goes. Um yeah, so I mean right now I'm like, yes, I'm doing it all myself, it's gonna be great. But talk to me in a couple months and you know, I might be <laughs> I might be singing the praises of of a fulfillment company. So how um you're running this for well, it looks like it's a just over a month. Yeah, like 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 exactly like, like, like like Kickstarter lets you set the exact end date and time now. Um, so I set it cool. to end. I set it to end like basically on a Sunday at like 5 p.m. Um, or some point like that. And I set a time when it'll also be daytime in uh in in Sydney, so that Louis can be up and about for the for the challenge of it as well, because you know there's not a lot of overlap between his working hours and mine. Okay, and I noticed that um you already have some pledge levels that are already like all gone so yeah. that's like really amazing like the 70 dollar package um that uh, like this this has only been going up for like a couple days from the, the time that we're recording this it like launched today right yesterday yeah today. Uh, no yeah it, it launched this morning like less than so, less, less than 12 hours ago yeah so um at the time of recording this and yeah. the the awesome original creatures art packages are already all gone and they yeah. were um you know, at 70. So, um, you know, but 
by all means, I think the average that people had was somewhere around, I mean, that was more for like a, a smaller project. The average was like $25. But um, so here, because it's a much bigger project, you have a lot more pages to include. I'd say your average, you're, you've got like, you know, a $30 and $40 level and $50 level. Yeah. So it's pretty reasonable. The last time I looked at it, our, our per backer average was 40. And I expect that'll go down over the course of the Kickstarter. Cause like you said, a lot of the big ticket items are, are gone now. So I was, uh, I was kind of estimating when I was trying to figure out how many backers we would need uh, around 32, uh, around a $32 average. So $30 gets you the book. And I think probably more people will get a higher level than that, than a lower level, but probably, you know, it'll probably, it'll probably settle in a little over $30. And I should say like, we, we want to just in terms of Kickstarter strategy, we do have more of the like fancy higher level rewards plans that will be rolling out throughout the campaign. So, so for people who are disappointed they missed that, there will be other cool stuff that we'll have available. I think the plan right now is that basically every Monday we'll start putting stuff up. But you know, depending on how fast things go and how fast our rewards go up, we'll try to be flexible with it and roll with the punches. This is my first okay. Kickstarter, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> nah, that's all right. In fact, you sound you sound like you know what you're doing. Okay. Um, well, I studied the hell out of this beforehand, so yeah. So here's hoping. <laughs> studying studying the Kickstarter process is really important, and you can check out Comics Tribe. They have a ton of information, and in fact, there's a podcast that's pretty much exclusively talking about Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um. So I definitely love listening to them when it comes to looking for advice on this. They're like experts. So with these larger pledge things, do you also have um, like already ideas or plans for if you surpass the goal that you're looking for, like those unlockable type um, rewards? Yes, we do. Okay. Uh, we have. We, I planned. I didn't really know how high I should plan, so I planned it up to 250% of the goal, which felt really arrogant. And I don't think we're going to hit anywhere near that. But I think it would be better to. It'd be better to you know plan for an absolute crazy best case scenario than to not do that and kind of get caught flat-footed if that should happen. So. Okay. Um. And the the higher level rewards that we have looking at now there's like a you know two hundred dollars or more gets you all kinds of stuff like the book an original commission um the digital combo pack so the original commissions we know those depending on you know if you go through artist alley and you find particular artists i mean that ranges anywhere from like forty dollars to two hundred dollars right well and the thing about those well they're 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 both gone so kind of irrelevant but the 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 cool thing and this was louis idea about those two hundred dollar level ones is that they're not just commissions uh like for for art for you to keep they're actually commissions that you can use for your comic project so like when you go to artist alley like you can't buy a sketch in artist alley and then put it on the cover of your book Whereas that $200 level is actually Louis will draw something that you can use as a variant cover, as the main cover, as a marketing piece for your book, really however you want to use it. So, so when you, when you, when you, when when you factor, when you factor that in, it really is a pretty incredible value. Yeah. And that's really clever. I know that there have been um, other times when uh, people have offered things like editorial services as a reward. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure if I remember if your name was one of them. For some reason, I thought that you were like. Um, I've done script critiques, uh, and, <laughs> and I have some script critiques here as well. I've never actually put up as a reward editorial services. <laughs> Honestly, I think that, like as as an editor, I'm kind of I I, I wouldn't want to just work with whoever is the highest bidder <laughs> because if I, I I think if I if the wrong people bid on that, uh, it would absolutely drive me that shit insane so i i really admire people who are who are like you know i'll edit whoever's book it is that pays me you know that's um that's scary okay but there's definitely (laughs) there's definitely script critique available yes um which is different and it's really helpful it helps um I know things that are valuable to me because when you go through so many rewrites of a script yeah you kind of get like 
like you think you know what you've written at that point and you've right. changed it so many times you've actually forgotten and somebody will point out hey this dude like walked out of the room at this point and whatever happened to him where did he go right oh yeah got it got to address that don't i yeah um so that's you know critiques are really helpful and things like um uh, you know, watch your character placement, who you have speaking first, especially you, because you letter, you have amazing insight with that, where you can warn people like, hey, this will drive a letterer bonkers right here. Right. right. You know, so, uh, you know, that's kind of stuff that if you don't do all those other tasks, and as far as the making of comics goes, you might not even be thinking about. Yeah. I will say, like, yeah, I mean, when I do a script critique, like, it, it includes all that stuff, but that's more, like, the nitty-gritty stuff. I also try to, like, I, I try to dig deeper than that and just look at, like, the things that you could be doing better from a very, from a from a structural standpoint, from a craft standpoint, kind of like the, um, the deeper uh, things that will actually push your writing as a whole forward rather than just, you know, fixing up mistakes that you're making, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a totally different type of path, to, you know, a different thing to talk about is, you know, hey, maybe this character is not developing or, you know, or maybe you know, you want to change, I don't know, change anything like genders or something like that with characters. Right. Um, a lot of what your character stuff do is you have these supernatural creatures that are part of the real world. Mm -hmm. So... Um, but like I said, you they all have a very relatable, familiar quality to them. So with Past the Last Mountain, it's uh, like a mama separated from her baby. And, you know, what are we going to go through here? What are you going to do to people? Is it going to be torturous? Right. Uh, oh, yeah, it's going to be very torturous. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> no, I mean it's. I think it's a fun book, but it's a it's it's a book it's a book that can be heavy at times as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Orc Girl had you know has his moments, and so yeah. I mean, you know, when you can make people cry over things like robots, <laughs> like wow. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. So. That's the kind of stuff that uh, people can look forward to. Um, okay, so we did talk about the rewards and Patreon, how that's different. So with the Patreon, what kind of uh, levels are, do you have set up over there? Is it sort of like, you know, the dollar a month thing? Or are you doing it per column post? How are you doing it? I'm doing it uh, the, the dollar per month thing. Um, it's, it's pretty simple. Basically, if you pay anything, you get the column emailed to you directly. Um, which like I honestly there's not a lot I'm doing that's like you know exclusive to Patreon folks because the whole point of this column is to have it out there for everyone so that makes this it makes it I guess more of a voluntary tip jar than a lot of other Patreons are but then right. there's 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 a second level um, which is like a couple bucks more where basically you get the column a few days ahead of everyone else I guess if you're a really big fan of mine or something um, and then there's a higher reward level than that where I'm going to start, hopefully once this column builds an audience, I'm going to start doing um, Q&A columns every couple months. Yeah, that'll be and, cool. Yeah, and the idea of the higher uh, reward level is basically that your your question gets is, is essentially guaranteed to be answered uh, each time I do one of those. So as long as it's, you know, on the topic tasteful. of uh, – Tasteful and, and, and actually on it. <laughs> on the topic of, of the writing craft. Because I really want this to be a very column that's very focused on the craft of writing comics. And I think that, I think a lot of times when people people do that kind of thing, they tend to sort of merge it with information about breaking in and information about like process, you know, like how you write and blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas whereas I, I really want to keep a very narrow focus on the actual the actual writing itself. Because I don't okay. think I could talk about them. Okay, and the key is to do it. You know, that's always a, that's always a thing that you hear on panels when they ask famous writers for how do I find an agent or how do I do this. The first question that a panelist will ask back is, "Do you have it written? Like, right. is it done? 
Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, the writing is always, you know, the, the, the first step that you need to take. Sit yeah. your butt in your chair and do it. Um, so with the, you have the printing version is what we're going for with the Kickstarter. So I was wondering from a technical standpoint, if there have been big differences and changes to how you need to format things for different, like there's Comixology, which has its own reading platform. And now there's this thing called Stila and yeah. or Stella, I don't know. And there's, so it seems like things need to, like, I don't know if they need to technically follow a, spe a special format, like do page turns matter when you're doing this electronic stuff? Because I don't think they do, but obviously if you're going to print the things they do. I think they do more. Um, honestly, I, 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 I keep the Comicsology well, reader like in mind. I guess if you're, if you're reading on Comicsology, like panel by panel, then they don't. Yeah, like, but right. I, since I don't read that way and it seems to me like a, special kind of horror to read a comic that way. I guess I don't tend to keep that in mind. So yeah, if you're doing that, then that's a different thing. But um, imagining people reading on Comixology just page by page like I do, uh, when you do that, then basically every page turn becomes important rather than just every other page turn. So. Um, okay, so even, yeah. even if we use the same tool, we're still using it differently. I think so, yeah. Now, Stila, you're right. Stila is a completely different ballgame. And I, mm -hmm. I've never written anything for that kind of format. So I haven't put a lot of thought into into how you would do that. But, yeah, um, that's I, – I, and, I, and I don't have an iPhone, so I've never actually read a Stila comic. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm, I, at least in its, in its native app, I've read some in, like, PDF format. But, yeah, just from, from my understanding of, of the way it works, that is a very different – a very different thing that requires a, a complete rethinking of the, the structure of the quote unquote page. Okay. Yeah. I don't have an iPhone or device either that would read that. Right. Um, but I was curious. I was curious. Yeah. So, um, okay. So you've got, you're obviously accessible on Twitter and <laughs> you're going to hopefully get, it'll sort of, and you're hopefully going to get up to this Q and a, level with the column mm -hmm. so how are you engaging readers um you know like do you i'm glad that you said that the column is will at some point become interactive like that but how how are you engaging with them and whether it's building it's not just building a fan base like you that's one thing is you're not just <clears throat> saying hey buy my books here's yeah. a link <laughs> you know not as well as i should honestly and it's um it's something where it's something I do because you have to do it in, in, in the way the comics industry is now, rather than because it's something that I'm comfortable with or that I go to naturally. Like, you know, I mean, I think Paul Aller just completely left to his own devices, speaking of himself, pretentiously in the third person, um, would be more along the lines of someone who's just like, I made a thing. Here it is. Bye. I'll, you when I put the next thing out um, but that doesn't really fly in, in, in you know the age of social media and such a invisible line between between creators and 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 readers so yeah I I guess I kind of stumble my way to reader outreach I mean I I do my best I try to be open on Twitter I, I talk to folks I, I also like I am in a lot of ways a pretty private guy and I mean there are a lot of things about Twitter that make me uncomfortable, you know, like I, um, I get on there and I have all of my, all of my friends are on Twitter and my friends and I will like give each other massive amounts of shit on Twitter because that's what friends do. Um, and then someone I don't know will start giving me shit about something. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And why are they doing this? It's making me very uncomfortable. And I realize it's because they see me doing it and they don't necessarily recognize that it's because, you know, these are guys that I, have a pre-existing relationship with. You know, these are the guys that I like call and text when I'm having a really shitty time. These are the guys whose like couches I sleep on at cons. You know what I mean? So, so Twitter is weird yeah. because it is. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. It's hard to it's hard to see on Twitter what people's relationships are and to then know what level of engagement they desire. And so I think because of that, I've had to learn to just be more open and more flexible 
than I would like rather than just being the guy who's always like, how dare you speak to me the way I was just two seconds ago speaking to Ryan Lindsay. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. And how then are you, I mean, obviously like you have casual conversations like that, but how are you meeting other professionals in order to, um, you know, to build the relationships that you have. I mean, the, like, you know, you mentioned uh, just a few of the people that are going to be working on this book. Yeah. And I mean, the list is pretty long. So, um, you know, is it just convention networking or, you know, do you have other tricks up your sleeve? It really is a mix. A lot of it is convention networking. Um, a lot of it is, you know, people that you do meet on Twitter and you talk to and you just sort of, Form a relationship over time. You read their work. You like their work. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people exchanging PDFs of their of their work, you know, with each other after we meet on Twitter because, you know, comics creators by and large don't have a ton of money to actually buy comics. Um, and, you know, it, it just, just sort of happens naturally. Like to think of the some of the bigger names on this book, like Rebecca Isaacs is someone who I met at a con like maybe three years ago when I became friends with her and her husband and you know this is the first time we're working together. Uh, Jeffrey Verge is a guy I started talking to on Twitter and we sort of just became friendly over Twitter and I met him very briefly in Emerald City but that's been our only face-to-face -face contact so far so you know it really um it really it really varies. It, it can happen a lot of different ways and there are a lot of artists that I'm working with that I've never met in person so yeah. Well, yeah. I guess if you have, if you know people in New Zealand, you can't always just pop over. Right. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. You know? Louie, Louie, the main artist on Past the Last Mountain, is uh, a guy that was recommended to me by by Ryan Lindsay, a fellow Australian, uh, when I was looking for an artist. And Ryan was like, Ah, oh, you know, the guy would be perfect. Koala, koala. So, yeah. <laughs> I love Ryan. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Oh my goodness. Um. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so then I know that, um, you know, like your day job's not like a, a big secret exactly, mm -hmm. but that you work in local government. And uh, recently you said you were intertwining your two jobs here, your day job and your comics job, and you were helping bring comics to your community. So oh, explain that. Yeah, that's actually something that happened about five years ago. It just happened to come up okay. come up recently and I was talking about it. Uh, I work in economic development for the city that I live in. Um, basically, I help businesses in ways big and small. Like I help, you know, little one-person shops and I've helped like Chrysler, which has a couple of factories here in town. So, um, so I, I oversee like loans, uh, tax abatements, uh, oh my gosh, this is boring. Let me, let me skip over that part. Anyway, yes. So um, about five or six years ago, I went down to my local comic shop and there was a sign on the door saying that they were closed. And I was like, well, that's a bummer. Like not, you know, closed for the day, closed, closed. Uh, and I called up the guy that I thought was the owner and was basically like, hey, you know, I was a customer at the store and I... I have all these small business programs. Can I, if it's a temporary financial kink, is there something I can do to help you out? And it turned out he wasn't the owner of the store. He was the manager, um, but he was interested in opening up his own store. So I was like, all right, that works too, man. So we talked about it and uh, I helped get him a small business loan and he was able to open up a shop right in uh, downtown Kokomo. And uh, he's been doing very healthy business ever since then. That's great. Yeah. Um, because it's, you know, it's so sad when stores close mm -hmm. with, you know, and we can't just blame everything on Amazon, but let's face it. I, I shop at Amazon too. Right. I have my books on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, um, it definitely makes life easier, especially if you live in the middle of nowhere. Um, so books, bookstores of any kind opening, independent shops or cafes, whatever opening is a really big deal. There was in fact one that just opened in Philadelphia and it figured it wasn't actually opening until the day after I was down there. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, ah, oh, damn it. I went and I got my, my new tattoo down there and um, 
It's run by a black woman. I think she's uh, been talked about in the press plenty uh, that it's the first, as far as I know, this is what I recall from the story anyway, was that she's the first black woman to own a comic store. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, can that really be <laughs> true? Is, is that like, I mean, it's 2016. Is that really, is it really just happening now? Right. Um, but anyway, perhaps they only meant in Philly. I don't know. But uh, anyway, it's a, it's a vibrant little neighborhood and, um, you know, really busy, great cafe down the street about a mile away. And so, you know, hey, hopefully, hopefully new stuff like that is wonderful because you can have you can have things like Facebook and Twitter all you want, but nothing is going to compare to going into a shop and being able to ask people questions. Right. You know, like it's just especially if you are the retailer and you know the madness of like, hey, we're trying to run a magic tournament right now and um, people need to come in and get their comics or their statues or whatever. Um, it's a whole different different ball game. You can't always just like stop and answer Facebook questions. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So how, um, you know, how do you see the industry? What's your Paul Aller perspective on the industry? <laughs> Is it getting better? Are things getting better? Do you want what? What do you want to change? Let's put it that way. (sighs) I mean, besides money dropping out of the sky, right? Like if I win, if I win the Mega Millions, like I will fund your Kickstarter. I think comics are going through a very tumultuous period right now, but it's it's a it's a good thing because it means that things are taking out, things are being acknowledged that haven't been acknowledged in a long time. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I would, most of the things that I would like to see change are not things that I should probably talk about. Oh. <laughs> okay. That's a chicken shit okay. answer. <laughs> so mysterious. But every, every, everything that's coming to my mind, I'm like, no, no, Paul, come on. No. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Well, I mean, are have conventions been good to you? Are you doing, you know, oh, like no. you enjoying conventions? Gosh, no. I'm a writer. Conventions slaughter me. Um, yeah. <laughs> like nobody wants to meet us. <laughs> yeah. I don't really table at a lot of conventions just because it does uh, knock so much out of you financially. So um, I think that like, yeah, if I, if, I, if I'm at a convention where I'm comp the table and I can work hard to keep my travel costs reasonably down that I tend to do okay. You know what I mean? But um but if you're not careful about keeping those costs in control, it's very easy to to flip that equation very quickly. Mhm. So yeah. So all right. So comics at least in your area, the comic shops are doing well, the cons are okay. So how far do you travel? How far do you normally travel for a show? Like Emerald City seems pretty far from you. Yeah, I do three big shows a year. Typically, I I, I always want to do more, but I usually end up just doing the these three, which is uh, Chicago, which is uh, just down the highway from me, a couple hours. Uh, Emerald City because um, my family there, so I can like I visit my my brother and my niece and nephew while I'm out there, and uh, and New York just because I I, I really love spending time in New York every year and that's tends to be the most editor dense convention besides San Diego I guess but I'm not going to San Diego. So so yeah those tend to be the three that I that I go to other than shows within driving distance. Okay. Well speaking of editors, I noticed that you have um a Marvel credit to your name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean cuz it's like I mean I know about the turtle stuff like the you know TMNT stuff. Um but the uh but you know seeing a marvel credit is a pretty big deal so this was a special fathers day thing tell me about what this was and how you pitched it and how you got involved in it well it's it's, it's the second marvel book i've done um okay the first one last year i did a i did a guardians of the galaxy uh, animated tie-in it was a book that like tied into the guardians cartoon that was a lot of fun um, that was an editor I've been talking to for a long time, and he thought that I would be good for that based on my other work. So he kind of just gave me a chance to pitch, and I did, and did a fun little story about Drax 
getting a cold and his sneezes tearing the ship apart. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the more recent one was I did a Nova Father's Day story. Um, Marvel is doing this thing, I believe it's being helmed um, almost entirely by their assistant editors, uh, each one, where it's a series of, um, excuse me, of digital comics uh, coming out once a month centered around different holidays uh, and, and centered around different characters as well. So the, the, the one that I was asked to do was uh, centered around Nova. And it was a Father's Day story. And, yeah, I mean, the editor was familiar with my work from the Guardians thing and um, wanted to bring me in and pretty much just asked me for some thoughts. And we kicked it around for a while and developed the story together. And uh, I think it came out really well. It, it came out digitally a, a couple of weeks ago, and it'll be coming out in print in August. Okay, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you make it sound really easy. Well, I mean – like. Like, oh, you just, you know, you just, uh, you know, talk to somebody and say hello, and then they ask you to pitch, and you do. Yeah, just talk to someone for six years and, and, and you know, do do, <laughs> do several creator-owned series and do a massive amount of work to lower publishers, and then you maybe have a chance at getting a short or two here or there. Yeah, if if, if that's easy, then that's pretty easy. <laughs> um, yeah, I know that you uh... – like the the comic book database mm-hmm. website, you you'd linked to it recently, and it was like, oh my god, he does have a lot of credits. Look at this. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't being arrogant. It was because I was having a conversation yeah. with a fellow creator, and they were like, you just need more work to your name before people take you seriously. And I'm like, I don't think people realize how much work I've had to my name so far. I think I've managed yeah. to like fly under the radar pretty well for several years here, despite my best efforts to fly over the radar. Is that a thing? Yes. On, on the radar? I guess, <laughs> on the I guess, radar? I guess, yeah, on the radar, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. On the radar? Um, yeah, well, it's it's interesting because I know that the turtles have been a huge thing mm-hmm. since, like, forever, it seems like. Yeah. And it's it's such a weirdo, bizarre concept. It is, yeah. I mean, it really, it really is super weird. And they're... I guess one of their original creators, I don't know if he was the sole creator, but Kevin Eastman is going to be at this show this weekend that I'm going to. Oh, cool. Um, at Garden State Comic Fest. And I know he, like, I think he sold the Turtles for, like, I don't know, an insane amount of money. Um, so I don't think he actually owns them anymore. Right. But he, is still a, he is still a co-writer on IDW's Turtles book, though. Okay. Yep. So yep. it's just... I can't imagine like that that life like <laughs> that you come up with some bizarre thing that sounds like you know a, a seven year old came up with over recess and it becoming this mega sensational phenomenon that stays with people for decades to the point where there's like movies and cartoons and clothes and it just sounds so freaky and i mean because it's not just a superhero i mean these are like bizarre talking turtles but you know yeah do kung kung fu and surf and stuff and you know there's probably some creator out there who came up with like you know um android gerbil alien samurai at like the exact same time and it's just just spent the last 30 years furious like what the hell yeah come on really (laughs) Well, I remember Dynamite did a parody of them with hamsters. It actually was like oh, really? adolescent kung fu hamsters or something. It was really, it, yeah. I mean, it was like intentionally tongue in cheek. Yeah. Um. So, uh, with that kind of a big responsibility, is there a lot of pressure to, you know, live up to, I don't know, that franchise? Like, how do you how do you work on a a book of that magnitude? I mean, I guess there is a good thing about it, so I tend to just not. Um, I mean, I just, I just, <laughs> I just treat it like any other job and sort of push, push fan expectations out of my head and, um, and do the work. Uh, and then when the book is done and about to come out, that's when I start worrying about if the fans are going to like it. So, but you know, that's, that's okay. Cause I can't change it at that point. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I do. All right. So what other things are you, um, once you get the Kickstarter done and taken care of, do you, how far in advance do you have plans for your, your writing and ideas? Uh, I have Team Into Universe that's coming out in in August, um, and I'm doing the first four issues on that, so I'm excited about that. 
that's about it for things that have been announced. I have a couple of other things that um, that have not been announced yet, so can't really talk about them. Okay. So that okay. that makes this a pretty boring answer. No, that's okay. I mean, you know, like, are you, do you have ideas in your head as a writer of, you know, like this big monstrous notebook of, you know, things that you want to get to someday? Oh, yeah. I mean, more than, more than you'll ever get to, really. Um, I don't really understand people who kind of like have one idea that they just hammer away at for years. That's not really how my brain works. So, but at the same time, I don't think I'm very good at ideas. I think I'm, I think I'm much better at execution than I am at ideas. So when I do come up with something I like, I kind of grab hold tight and you know write it down and and then pitch it everywhere and then it stays on the Excel spreadsheet. Okay. So when you're writing, do you have a particular art style in mind? Because it's hard to specifically think of an artist because there's so many out there, but do you have a style in mind when you're working on something? Um, I mean, if, if I'm actually writing something, then like writing a script, then generally I'll, I'll know who the artist is at that point. It's, it's, it's been, it's been a while. Well, no, the Nova, I don't think I knew who the, he was doing my Nova Father's Day thing, so I didn't say that. But uh, other than that, it's been quite a while since I've since I've had to write something without the artist in mind. So yeah, I, I, okay. I mean, obviously, you know who, who the artist is, and you damn well better be writing toward their style, or you know, you're doing something wrong. Okay, I, I mean, it's like I don't know. I sometimes I just I just write for the fun of writing, yeah. and I don't even if it's never going to go anywhere. Right. Um. So I know that uh, IDW and Comics Experience have a sort of imprint brand thing happening. Have you done anything through that? Uh, yeah, I had a book called Tech uh, that came out through that uh, last last fall. It was a four-issue miniseries with, uh, with Paul Tucker. It was a, a, a war-torn Vietnam romance. Okay. I couldn't remember if that was um, just – regular IDW for if we're through the program. No, that was with Comic Experience. Yeah. Okay. And how was that experience, you know, for you as as a creator? I mean, you've obviously, like we were saying, you know, you have enough credits to your name, but, you know, it's not, you, you know, you might not have the recognition of a superstar yet. You're not being flown around the world for conventions. But um, so what was your experience like with, um a nice indie imprint that really focused on creator-owned work. It was amazing. I mean, I don't think anyone else would have done that book um, except for Comics Experience, and um, IDW was very supportive of it. They let us do exactly the book we wanted to do, and the response that we got was um, was was really great. I mean, it was, it was Comics comic Experience and Andy Schmidt in particular provided just the right balance of, you know, being there to support us in any way we wanted while also respecting the fact that we had a story that we wanted to tell and they weren't going to try to, you know, poke a stick in that. That's cool. That was a very, um, you know, like you said, it was a, a set in wartime. Yeah. You have a lot of war themes. <laughs> yes, so. Um so that was, you know, that was very completely different than the fantasy worlds that you play with in Pass the Last Mountain and with Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. Very, you know, realistic world, realistic people. Um, but I imagine that your creative mind has probably been churning away since you were wee little Paul Aller. Um, so what kind of kid were you when, you know, like, did you play by yourself with very specific toys? Did you have imaginary friends or were you, you know, like always in the schoolyard or always, in, you know, down the block playing with, you know, 15 different kids? Um, I was a pretty pensive kid. Uh, I had a few very close friends, especially when I lived in San Antonio uh, as a kid. Um, also, I mean, I grew up sort of shortly before the beginning of more, you know, heavily quote-unquote helicopter parenting so really like from an extremely young age we could just go out and be out um 
So and you know, I, I lived in a in a dense urban area there in San Antonio, and it was a uh, kind of a pretty fascinating place. And so we would just go out and explore um, most days. So yeah, but no, I, I I was I was a pretty I was a pretty moody kid. I was I was pretty pensive, so um, not tremendously different than the way I am now, I guess. So if you could go back and give your little self some advice, what would you say? Chill the fuck out. <laughs> and, uh, hey, don't drop out of college twice. Also, uh, oh, no, the biggest thing I would say is um, start reading comics because I didn't start reading them until I was 28. That's some pretty good advice. Yeah. Yeah, stay, stay in school, read plenty. Read comics at the library so that you are enjoying the form and also not spending an obscene amount of money on them at a very young age. And yeah, libraries are really and great. Don't ever buy a long box. Do not go down that dark path, young child. Because <laughs> you will have to have it all the time and you will end up with like 300 of them. Uh, don't worry. Uh, at a certain point, these things will start coming out digitally and you'll, uh, you'll really enjoy reading them on your Kindle, which is a thing you haven't heard of yet. So just um, just stick to the library, buy the stuff you really love, and hold out for digital. And I hope there are no retailers listening. <laughs> and you will not uh, be able to, you know, auction them and put your kids through college right. necessarily. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, do you have any last uh, parting words here for the listeners? Yeah, uh, go to www.passthelastmountain.com and check and make a pledge. <laughs> there you go. Go to uh, support the Kickstarter, and if you like the column on uh, pauladler.com, you can uh, go and, of course, participate in the Patreon, like the online tip jar. And... Um, yeah, so I hopefully you know you'll meet even more people at New York then because you know it's going to be crazy as always. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Paul. Well, thank you so much for fitting this into your schedule. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You guys listening? Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber, and you can support my work at Patreon.com/slash Math. Everything else is at amberunmasked.com. And um, a lot of times the Patreon backers get to read the posts first. So that's one of the incentives, one of the reasons to go do that. So thank you for the support. Um, Thank you, Paul, once again. And really great, you know, luck and good luck and everything with the Kickstarter. Thanks. I appreciate that.